welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's a welcome edition. We are welcoming our newest writer at The Athletic on the college football side. This is a guy I've known for a long time. I am so thrilled that he is here. He is going to be, this is a new word I had not heard before, but Sam Kahn Jr. is going to be our tech expert. That is our expert in the state of Texas, and we could not have picked a better one. Sam, welcome aboard. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here and bring my tech expertise to The Athletic. Oh, tech expertise. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we're going to lead into this, now, Bubba. Well, listen, the, 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 it is taking everything I have to not just turn this conversation toward brisket and <laughs> kolaches right now. But we do have to start talking about football a little bit because last I heard, football was fairly important in the Lone Star State. And, you know, you're in Houston, uh, grew up in, in the area. Uh, you have covered Houston for the Houston Chronicle. You've, you've worked for ESPN where you've covered Texas and A&M and TCU and Baylor and all those schools. So I, I'm just I'm so excited for you. Uh, you know, Sam, by the way, best dressed sports writer in America. He actually won the award. And right. uh, now both of us have uh, have sort of slacked a little bit in the <laughs> pandemic. As you can see, if you're watching the video, we're we're rolling in, in T-shirts right now. But when when I expect when we are back at games, I expect the full the full ensemble, Sam. I want the sport coat. I want the flower lapel pin. I want the the Kangol hat. I want it all. Yeah, I think after going as long as I have without wearing a tie, the first game back in 2021 is going to have to be special. So I've got, fortunately, a few months to plan for what that's going to be. I can teach you how to do a bow tie for my bow tie phase. I might have to try that. I have not delved into bow ties before, so that that might be something I consider. I, I'm never going back, by the way. Like I tried for a while. I, I want, I, you know, I figured, oh, I'm going to be on TV. That, I'm going to get me a TV job, so I need to wear a suit everywhere. I'm never going to get a TV job. If I'm lucky, I can get a podcasting job. Maybe they'll let me keep writing here. But I'm all athleisure all the way now. The pandemic has broken me. I'm not even worried about it. It's all, if, you know, it, it's, but it'll be nice sweatpants. It'll be the, 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 <laughs> the finest sweatpants money can buy. There you go. I mean, when when you're in our situation, you live in the parts of the country where we live, where it's humid, and we've got kids running around, and it's just a little bit inconvenient to be in the house dressed to a tee every day. So you got to be comfortable. You got to be comfortable, exactly. but you don't want to look like a slob. So exactly, Houston, just as swampy as as North Florida. I promise yep. you that. And and it gets hot and sticky, and you know that that's the thing. I mean, this is. This is a place where football matters a ton from the high school level all the way up to the pro level. And it's a, it's a state where college football is so, you know, it, the, the lines are drawn very clearly. You have your Texas people, your A&M people, your Baylor people, your TCU people, your Texas Tech people. It is, it is a very interesting place to cover college football. And that's why I'm so excited to have you because this is such a, a fascinating time in the state of Texas for college football because you have Jimbo Fisher seemingly getting things where they need to be at Texas A&M. It feels like 2020 was the year they told us 2020 would be, but with an even harder schedule than originally planned. And then you've got the change at Texas, which I, I want to get into that later. The, the decision to fire Tom Herman, the decision to hire Steve Sarkeesian, because 
it still fascinates me. I'm, I'm not sure there was a, a good option for Chris Del Conte in that situation. So here they are now. And, you know, it's, it's just it's just amazing how that works. You, you just got off a press conference with uh, with Steve Sarkeesian as they start spring practice. What is what is the big question Texas must answer in Steve Sarkeesian's first spring practice? I think, well, you don't, I don't know that you're going to answer it coming out of spring, but you got to figure out who your quarterback is. You know, the one thing that stabilized this program to a certain extent was the fact that they had a multi-year starter in Sam Ellinger the last four years. And prior to Sam, they had nothing but turnover post Colt McCoy. That's the reason why Texas has been floundering over the last decade is because they had so much quarterback instability. So now we got to see Casey Thompson in the Alamo bowl. We got to see him for a half. He was really, really good for a half, but not, not to jump to conclusions like we did with Kenny Hill in 2014, at Texas A&M versus South Carolina. Let's see if that is a sign of things to come for him or Hudson card, who is a blue chip recruit from Lake Travis high. If he's going to be the guy. Either way, I think Sark likes the options he has, but you got to figure out who that guy is going to be because this team is going to be in Sark's identity, which is offense, fast pace, wide open, lots of RPO. It's going to be a lot of fun to, to watch. How much does B. John Robinson play into that? Sark's coming off having a really dynamic back in Najee Harris, and obviously they had really dynamic everything in Alabama, but having a guy like that, it feels like that's such a great kind of cornerstone to build around. It is. I mean, that that to me is going to be the centerpiece of the offense for Texas year. He is the best skilled player they have on the roster at this moment. And you've got to feed on the ball. I think the if you, one thing you would ask Texas fans that frustrated them among many things last year was the fact that Bijan did not get the ball enough. The last two games, he run, ran for over 150 yards. He carried the ball nine and ten times in those games. That's not enough. And you, you've got I think they've got to feed him the ball a little bit more. And if they do. And if he can build on that, I think you've got a kid who might be able to sneak into the Heisman Trophy race. Well, Sark will uh, will be familiar with the concept of somebody yelling, run the damn ball at him after, <laughs> after spending as many years as he did at Alabama. So th- this will this will be good. But I, I just it, it, it's such an interesting situation because of the way this all shook out, because if you look at the you know, Tom Herman. His record was not what you want it to be at Texas, but it did seem like they were maybe headed toward something better. The decision to pull the plug, did did that surprise you when it happened or was it just more of a, you know, relationship thing that that Tom Herman was not a guy that Chris Elkani had hired and he wanted to do his own thing? I think it was a culmination of things. Most of all, they they came into this season, the 2020 season with the idea that Tom had to get it done this year. Cause remember before the pandemic, before the 2020 season, he had to change over coordinators. He changed over the entire staff. Damn near. Yeah. He, he and, used his get out of jail free card, which I felt like it was a little early to do that. Right. I thought so too, especially with so many guys that he had success with, you know, he brought a lot of those guys with him from Houston, from Houston, know, Todd yeah. Orlando, Craig Nivar, you know, guys like that. And they had a lot of success, you know, together as a group. And of course, you know, went to the sugar bowl a couple of years ago, but you know, for whatever reason, they decided that, you know, he felt like he was under pressure going into 2020. So they made the change. You know, they they get the two coordinators, Yursich and Chris Ash. And losing some of the games that they lost, obviously the Red River shootout happening the way it did, you know, certainly was uh, something a, a mark, mark against them. The Iowa State game, 
you know, late in the season was a big. I think that was that was the killer because and and that's the hard because Matt Campbell is is a fantastic coach, but the difficulties you must overcome at Iowa State are so much greater than what you have to overcome at Texas. So that that he could build a team that could beat Texas in a game that is essentially for a spot in the Big 12 championship game. I I did feel like that was sort of a, a breaking point. Absolutely. And that that it just seemed like they had plateaued from from that Sugar Bowl appearance in 2018. I think there were some things they they definitely have recruited pretty well. They've started to move in the right direction. But that that plateau hit, and I think, and actually to go back to recruiting, I think that hit them too. You know, you know they lost some key commits over the course of last season, and I think that when was another market, especially yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the Brockemeyers. I mean that those were key losses in the recruiting for Tom Herman, and so once they made the flirtation with Urban Meyer, I I felt like they were going to make a move, and I think once you let that cat out of the bag. There, it was. It you had put Tom Herman in an impossible spot where if you brought him back, it was a losing proposition the next year because of how much difficulty he was going to have recruiting. And and the Sarkeesian thing is interesting to me because we don't know that he's going to do any better. You know, his record as a head coach, the Washington thing, I, I kind of I give him a little bit of a pass on because he took over a program that was in a really horrible state. But the USC thing, he kind of he did that to himself and. Mm-hmm. So we don't know with him, you know, healthy and, and, and doing much better. We don't know what he is as a head coach. We'll be right back after these words. Over in College Station, we know exactly what Jimbo Fisher is as a head coach. We, and, and I feel like last year kind of reinforced it because it, the way things ended at Florida State were so bad. And then you've got the first two years at A&M where – you know, you see them against Clemson and you realize, okay, they, they got a ways to go. But everybody kept saying year three, year three, year three. And the thought was it's going to be this schedule where there's Colorado and Vandy instead of Clemson and Georgia, and it's going to be great. <laughs> and then the schedule gets flipped on its ear. It gets harder, and they go 9-1 and one in the SEC. They go 10-1 and one overall. I mean, they win the Orange Bowl. It's it's just it's, – it's interesting that they they just stayed on track. Now – Kellen Mond leaves. You, Buddy Johnson's gone. But I just I feel like this team could be really fun next year. I, I love the idea. I like guys who are versatile offensively, who are just weapons. There's, you don't really you can't put them in a position. And I feel like Anaya Smith and and uh, Devin Chain, That's who those guys are. And they've got a couple of them. And then maybe you know we see if Caleb Chapman can come back healthy. Uh, if Demond Demas can live up to his recruiting hype. I think there's a lot to be excited about there. I think there is. The the skill talent is certainly building. Like you said, those interchangeable parts. Anias has been such a versatile player for them. A-Chain, the speed that he has. I mean, he just posted the top 200 time in the country in NCAAs last weekend. I mean, the kid wow. can fly. He's fantastic. They've got to figure out the offensive line. They've only got one returning starter, which is a really good one, Kenyon Green. But they've got to figure out the other four starters, and they've got to figure out the quarterback. You know, Haynes King, Zach Calzada, and freshman Eli Stowers. They've got all three guys. None of them have any real experience. And as we know, Jimbo's hard on his quarterbacks. The, he's going to be very demanding of these guys, and I'm going to be interested to see this spring who is able to kind of get their head up above the rest of the group. And I, I don't want to toss out Johnny Manziel's name lightly, and I'm not comparing Haynes King to Johnny Manziel, but it does almost feel like the, you know, the Johnny Manziel, Jamel showers 
quarterback where you've got the guy who's more the dual threat who can run who can who can improvise a little bit and the dude who just throws the most beautiful ball you've ever seen in in calzada so i i'm, I'm really interested to see how that shakes out but i think you're right I, it's how you deal with jimbo fisher how can you handle he's hard on quarterbacks he admits he's hard on quarterbacks and mentally which guy is is best suited for that yeah it's it, that's going to be the challenge and Kellen was great at it, you know, even in his very first season, you know, after the coaching change, he kind of sat there and took it and he went out there and made improvements and got better. And to me, the progress that Kellen made under Jimbo for the last three years was tremendous. It was impressive. And I feel like it set him up for a really great pro career. The thing that's going to help Haynes King or Calzada or Stowers is this defense is going to be really good. Yes, they lost Bobby Brown. Yes, they lost Buddy Johnson, but they got the rest of the nine starters back. They, they feel like Leal. that dude yeah. is awesome. <laughs> I mean, they they feel like this defense could be as good as it's been in a couple of decades at Texas A&M. Like they're looking at possibly a top 10 caliber defense. And like I said, with the skill talent they have, you know, Jimbo is going to run the ball with Isaiah Spiller and a chain back there. They, they're going to hand them the ball a lot. So those quarterbacks are going to have help. But again, I think the big question comes back on that roster is what does the O-line look like and how does it shake out? Yeah, I, I think that's. That's going to decide. I mean, it's the SEC. the The line of scrimmage decides everything, and this is. But this feels like a roster that belongs in the SEC West now. It feels very, you know, if you if you compare it to LSU's roster, Auburn's roster, you know, Alabama's roster is is kind of a cut above everybody else. But it feels like it belongs with those those teams that can compete in the SEC West and. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because Texas A&M had that great year right out of the gate, the first year in the SEC where Johnny won the Heisman and and they beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa. But it hasn't really felt like they were a competitive member of the SEC West until last year. And now you look at them and you go, okay, I think LSU is going to be good. They're bringing a bunch of, of talent back. They seem to have corrected the mistakes they made in terms of hiring Auburn, we don't know what they're going to be, but Brian Harson teams tend to be good up front. And so I, I think, and then Alabama's Alabama. But it feels like AM belongs in that conversation now. And I think that's maybe the biggest difference between this year and the last three or four. No doubt. I, they Jimbo's stacking top 10 recruiting classes, which is what you have to do at this point. When they first got in, I think the Johnny Manziel mania it masked a lot of things at that roster. They also happened to have a really good defense in 12 and yes. lost all those guys. Senior late in defense, lots of experienced guys. But that what they had in, in Manziel, what he could do and, and able to keep them in a game masked, I think, a lot of the deficiencies they had on the roster. And that was a lot of the time Kevin Sumlin spent was trying to basically SECize the roster, you know, and, and get the defensive linemen. So by time... You know, Jimbo Fisher, Mike Elko came around. The defensive line started to fill out and they started to look like SEC defensive linemen. You know, they had the offensive line. I think felt like they, you know, when they came in was really, really good. And then the defensive line was kind of what they needed to build up. Now they're there. Now I look at the depth. I look at, you know, we got Jaden Peavy, Leal, you mentioned Tyree Johnson. I mean, these are legit SEC defensive linemen. And so that's, I think, was the next big step for them. They, When Mike Elko came, they were finally able to stop the run, which was a big bugaboo for them in the Sumlin era. So they fixed that part. So then the rest of it comes along offensively. We know what Jimbo's done as an, as an offensive coach. And like you said, what they did last season, 
I thought before the schedule changed, they were possibly a team that if they played the cards right, could go 10 and 0 going to those last two games against Alabama and LSU. When they flipped it, I was like, wow, maybe they're six and four, seven and three. And lo and behold, they go nine and one and run off eight straight wins and had established themselves as arguably the second best team in the SEC West going into next year. Yeah, it, it is going to be a really interesting to see if they can keep that momentum going because if they can, I, I mean, listen, I, it's funny. We, we made fun of Jimbo Fisher's contract and we talked about it, but <laughs> the plaque. Oh yeah. <laughs> For the plaque. You got the, the blank space on the plaque. That's exactly right. But the thing is, okay. So yeah, he's really expensive, but would you rather be in their situation or South Carolina's when you're paying mm-hmm. Will Muschamp to not coach you or, or, or yep. Auburn's where you're paying Gus Malzahn 21 and a half million dollars to, to not coach. I mean, that that's the thing it, this this sort of guaranteed Jimbo Fisher some time. Yep. And and kept kept probably made people a little more patient than they initially would have been. And now maybe you're seeing now I you got to see him continue it year after year, but like you said, when you have the roster the way it needs to be, that puts you in a position to do that. And then you have to make the correct decision at quarterback and and then you, a little of it is what's everybody else doing. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those years in the SEC West where I think it's going to be really interesting. I was watching some some NFL draft coverage, and you know Alabama may have six first round draft picks. It depends on you know if Landon Dickerson goes in the first rounder, but but we're talking four to six somewhere. That doesn't mean Alabama is going to be bad, but mm-hmm. it means anybody who loses that much might take a little step back. LSU is going to take a step up. We know that Texas A and M. We don't know what are they going to stay where they are up down. If they take the step up, there's a really good chance that Texas A and M is competing with those teams for the SEC West title. Absolutely. No, I, I was having this conversation the other day. This to me feels like a really good shot for them because, as you mentioned, yes, Alabama is Alabama, but they did lose three Heisman Trophy candidates off that offense and. With the defense that AM has that I feel like is going to be able to keep him in games with the running back combination of Spiller and A-Chain, I think they've got a real shot if if they can play the cards or they get Alabama at home, I just think, which is huge. Of course, they got to go to LSU at the end of the year. But I think they've got a real shot. If if they can come out of the gate, if they can figure out the quarterback situation, they can figure out the offensive line, I think they are in a really, really good shape this year. And it's going to be fascinating to see how this year plays out for them. But let's talk a little bit about the the other teams in Texas because, uh, you know, TCU. We we were in the as we're recording this. There's a there's a hashtag trending. <laughs> Free CM four. That would be Chandler Morris, uh, the son of Chad Morris, former Arkansas head coach, former SMU head coach, former Clemson offensive coordinator. Uh, he is a uh, Chandler Morris. Signed with Oklahoma, was on Oklahoma's roster, has transferred to TCU. Uh, Lincoln Riley has not released him yet. This is the same thing Lincoln Riley did with Austin Kendall when Kendall transferred to West Virginia. Uh, Lincoln Riley was on this show a couple weeks ago saying he believes that the the intra-conference transfer rule should remain in effect even if they change all the other ones. Uh, what's your gut on what happens here? I don't. I think eventually... He's going to let it go. Eventually, he let Kendall go to West Virginia. And I think the rule, like we all expect, I think will change. And I think the conference rule will change too. And, and well, Right. The ACC just abolished its rule. 
And Greg Sankey in the SEC said, you know, we're we're going to make that rule and we're going to decide, which is basically saying schools, I'm going to put the ball in your court, but you better not keep this rule. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's where we're headed. I think I think the coaches don't like it, but I think that's where we're going. And I think eventually Chandler will be fine. But I mean, I get it. I get it from a, you, you don't want to compete the guys in your conference, but you, you don't want them going to your rival schools in your conference. But I think you've got to understand the era we're in. It's not an era where you can just kind of put your foot down and rule like an authoritarian. It's just the culture and times have changed. Now you play it. This is a player empowerment era for lack hey, of a better term. Don't, don't be that guy, Lincoln Riley. Yeah. It's weird. Cause it, he, he sort of <laughs> isn't that guy in most cases. So, right. But and it, I think it's, it I think it's a necessary PR hit. I think it's a necessary PR hit that he's taking. Like, you, yeah, you know, you got a quarterback you like. Exactly. You're, you're not starting the guy. And we don't even know if Chandler's going to start there. I mean, Max Duggan's returning starter at TCU. So, I mean, it may be some time before Chandler plays. We don't know. I mean, he's a talented prospect, you know, when he came out. But, you know, who's to say? And Chandler did get some time last year. I mean, he did appear in a couple of games last year. He scored in the bowl game. But I just don't I don't like the idea of restricting player movement if coaches movement is not restricted. Exactly. And I think that makes it pretty cut and dried. Also, it was not like he was going to play at Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. They're very happy with Spencer Rattler. Mm -hmm. Very, very happy. So let's, let's let him play. Maybe he makes TCU better. We'll see, you know, year two with, uh, with Zach Evans, who was pretty good in year one. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe TCU is ready to be competitive again, and and I think I think that that would be good for for the Big Twelve to have TCU competitive again. Uh, Baylor, we'll we'll see if they get better. Dave Aranda's first year as a head coach was uh, was pretty rough, but they, they've made some changes. I mean, what what do you think happens at Baylor this season? They've got to write the offense. They got to figure out quarterback situation too. But Jeff Grimes, I think, was a good hire. Uh, it certainly you don't you don't want to change coordinators after one year as a new coach if you're Dave Veranda. But you know when you look at how difficult it was for them to move the football, they had to do something, and it was such a hard situation for Dave because Dave was one of those handful of new coaches that had to you know go through this off season of pandemic, you know, with a totally new staff, a totally new roster. You know there was you know it's not like he had he already had built his program. And, you know this was totally fly by night. And it was, I think it was a superb challenge for him with a roster that obviously had lost a lot after, you know, Matt rule had moved on. So uh, it's, it's a big challenge, but I think defensively he will get them right. You know, I'm interested to see how things work out with Grimes, but I think, you know, I think Aranda still long-term, I still feel good about his potential there at Baylor. I think he's in a good situation and I think he's a good recruiter and I think they'll eventually figure it out. Well, and it feels like, like, especially with Grimes coming in, there's a lot of offensive diversity now in the Big 12 where, I mean, before the league was as homogenous as it could be, where you had just one air raid person after another, and they're all trying to kind of copy each other. But now you've got you've got Grimes at Baylor. Sarkeesian's going to do something different at, at Texas, even though it's going to be fast-paced and, and pretty wide open. Uh, but then K-State, which was always kind of the outlier, is still kind of that outlier. Iowa State does its own thing. It's it's really interesting now because it, it feels like it's a bigger challenge if you're a defensive coordinator in the Big 12 because you're not seeing the same thing over and over. Definitely more of a variety, but on the on the flip side, I think the defenses have gotten better too. 
that that yeah. has been you know the last couple of years people have been chasing Matt Campbell and Iowa State you know the standard that they've set on defense and I think that's one thing last year I think that probably stuck out to me the most is that as the offenses have changed the defenses have gotten better and they've kind of caught up to a certain extent with the offenses of the Big 12 so but I think it's good it's good for the league we still are going to have your air raids you know Oklahoma's still going to run you know Lincoln Riley's version and Sonny Cumbie's back at Texas Tech so you know we're going right. to they're going to they're going to go back to that at Texas Tech and try to recapture well, some of the glory years for for this year we'll see what happens i mean if it doesn't work this year i think that that may that may be a change there i mean that yeah. matt wells is under some pressure and it's interesting cuz you think about it you know mike leach had such success there but cliff kingsbury didn't really succeed there i mean i don't cliff kingsbury didn't do any really any better than tommy tuberville did i think he spent a lot of time for a few years learning on how to do the job cliff got that job so young I mean, he was only, yeah. I think he was only full-time coach for three or four years before that. I, actually, no, two or three years because he was a GA right. for two years in Houston and then yeah. spent yeah, like, he was the two OC years at A&M and then OC boom. at A&M and yeah. then off we go. It's like, here, here's a program. Here's your here's your alma mater. Go go win some ball games in a place that's challenging to recruit uh, against a bunch yeah, of Yeah, I'd, I'd argue he's offenses. actually been a better coach in the NFL than he was at Texas Tech. Which doesn't shock me because I think the biggest challenge at Tech is recruiting. Because Lubbock is just so far away from everything else, you know, big in college football in Texas. So it's a little bit harder to get kids, get kids. I remember talking to Cliff and Kenny Bell, you know, his, his ops guy who used to be there with him, who's with him in Arizona now, said the biggest challenge for us is getting kids on campus. If we can get them here, we feel like we have a shot. But it was getting kids there because in if you're in East Texas or you're in Houston, or you're in Dallas, you can drive to TC, you can drive to Texas, you can drive to Texas A&M. You can't. It's kind of hard to drive to Lubbock. That's a long way. If you're living in Houston, so if that's an eight hour drive. I was gonna say if you. I was gonna ask how long is it if you wanted to drive to Lubbock from your house? Yeah, from from my house, about eight hours. Uh, Once upon a time, I think it was Reggie Chavis and Devin Lauderdale way way back uh, about 10, 12 years ago recruiting. Remember, there was a story they actually tried to drive. They they were both from Houston. And they got lost along the way. This was before oh, we no. all had GPSs on our phones. <laughs> they, they wound up in like Midland or Odessa. Yeah, yeah, they, where they, are they we? Didn't, they didn't even get that far. They got like a couple hours and they didn't know where they were going. And they turned back and they never made it. And it was, but, but that was part of the, that's part of the challenge. I love it. You got to get on a plane to, you know, if you're in Houston, it's, you're probably more likely to get on a plane to go there. And so it becomes a challenge to recruit. So that's, that's why what Mike did, you know, when he was there was so impressive because you're not going to get the best guys, but he was able to do it. Now, of course, everybody does, you know, or everybody knows the air raid. Everybody runs it. So it's a little bit of a different deal. And you've got to figure out another way to do it. But I think Sonny was a good hire for him. And I think getting back to that style of ball will help them this year. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Speaking of driving around Texas, I I enjoy getting lost in Texas because that usually means I'm going to bump into to something good to eat. We got we got to talk a little barbecue. I mean, so you you're in Houston, which is a a booming barbecue scene in Houston. It was one of those that that for as big of a city as it was, and and being a Texas town, it was not a huge barbecue place maybe ten years ago. But now it is really just sort of exploded. Um, you know, you got Killens on the complete opposite end of town from you uh yep. you, you probably it'd probably take you an hour and a half it's about, it's about an hour it's about an hour drive from my house Fairland. yep <laughs> yeah but uh i i like pinkerton's a lot which is is mm-hmm. near downtown uh grant pinkerton we've actually had him on the podcast huge texas fan 
massive Texas fan, but uh, great ribs, good, great brisket. The uh, the duck sausage jambalaya is is outstanding. But uh, what what are where else if if we're in Houston do we need to go? One of my favorites is Gatlin's. It's kind of on the north side of town. Greg Gatlin, he used to be right in the middle, and then he kind of moved a little bit north. He's got a bigger place now, but they've got great brisket. They also he also does some fantastic smoked wings. Uh, so Ooh, I, that's Gat- a, I'm a big fan of the smoked wings. Yeah. Gat- Gatlin's is definitely one of my favorites. Let's see. Killens, you mentioned Pinkerton's uh, Blood Brothers Barbecue is really, really good. That's that one's a little bit more uh, probably about 20 minutes away from where I live. But Blood Brothers is great. There's a uh, let me think over by my house. I live out in Cyprus. Uh, this guy has ran this trailer for the longest time names. His name is Trent Brooks. It's called Brooks place barbecue. It's in the parking lot of an ACE hardware. Uh, nice. Yeah. And, and it's funny because it's, he's built it out. It used to be kind of a small trailer and now it's got this big kind of canopy over it. And, you know, he's been, he's been slinging pretty good brisket for quite some time. Now I think I've been going there for six, seven years now. So, and, uh, he's one of my favorites. Are you a Fargo's guy when you go to, Station. It's been a while, Ryan but I, I, used, I used to like, yeah, I do. I used to do the rib tip Tuesdays at Fargo's right after the press conference. <laughs> I can never get there in time for rib tip Tuesday. I, I'm, I'm lucky if I get anything there. I, I remember one time that I was there on a Friday and I think I got there at like 1248 PM and they opened at 11 and the yep. stools were already up on, done. on the counter. <laughs> it was over. So yeah. that, that place is outstanding, and um, Waco's gotten to be a better barbecue town with a uh, guest family barbecue and, and mm-hmm. Hellberg opening up. Those places are, you know, more your classical Texas, classic Texas barbecue places. Because you know, for for the longest time, it was Vtex. You get the the gut pack, the gut pack, but Bubba. but that's not you know, that's more stunt. <laughs> That'll knock than, you than down. Good man. <laughs> that is a that is a challenge. I could say. But uh, no, Hellberg. Well, Hellberg's like great. Cut. I've been I've been there a couple times. I love Hellberg. Uh, I haven't been to Waco in a while, though. It's obviously the pandemic. Uh, but the the word is that Waco's definitely on the come up. You know, on the food. Well, side. I mean, it's all it's all Chip and Joanna based. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's a Chip and Joe based economy. That's Actually, right. their breakfast their breakfast place is really good. I, yeah. Magnolia, I think it's called Magnolia Table. Uh, and I know everybody, you, you can't go to the Chip and Joe. Yeah, you can. <laughs> the, the The biscuits are outstanding there. But um, but then you, you know you got Austin, which is just an unbelievable food town. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you don't have to wait in line for Franklin Barbecue. You can if you want. You can uh, you, you can go to La Barbecue. You can go to Micklethwaite. Mm-hmm. You can go to you know, all the, the styles switch, all the different places. Uh, and you, of course, if if you're headed that way on a Saturday, you could make the detour through Lexington and go to Snows. Snows on a Saturday morning, 8 a.m. They're ready to rock. One, at the, the one to, day a week, only one day. That is the <laughs> ultimate flex is you open your barbecue joint one day. One. At 8 a.m. Come get some pork steaks, Bubba. But the the way you do, the way you got to do snows is is you eat breakfast there. Like you get there at like seven forty five, and it's not like okay. So when when Texas Monthly named it the number one place in Texas, which was like two thousand eight, then the lines were you know went on forever. But it's not like that anymore. So you get there at seven forty five. You may be in line for for twenty minutes. You get your breakfast there, but also order enough to bring home for lunch and dinner. That's that's the way to do it. I seem to remember one time, I want to say it was A&M, Alabama, 2013. In 2013, and George yes. Schroeder, 
and a few others came into the press box with snow's barbecue. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> well, cause there was not enough for them. everybody. <laughs> well, and, and the, th- the thing was they were, they, the night before they just didn't understand because we had to stay in Austin mm-hmm. because you couldn't get a hotel room in college station for that, that, that game. And they game. did not understand. I'm like, guys, <laughs> we're leaving here at 6 a.m. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? The, they the, get barbecue. I'm like, we're leaving here at 6 a.m. for the game. So have everything you want for the game. Because we're gonna we're gonna eat barbecue, then we're gonna get enough barbecue to bring with us to Kyle Field. And then we're gonna eat again. And they're like, no, nah, I'm like, just trust me on this one. That's what we're doing. And now, yes, we were the heroes of some people in the press box. Some people hated us because we didn't have yes. quite enough. I got a but, little bit. I appreciate I appreciate you looking out for me. Oh, it's uh, listen, always, always. But I mean, this is this is just going to be a culinary adventure. I mean, uh you, you mentioned you haven't been to Waco in a while, which means you haven't been to West Texas in a while. You have not gotten yeah, to the check stop for kolaches. Uh, that, that is one of my favorite, just in, in the whole country, the idea of there are these, and, and the, there's one across I-35 as well that's also, I think, open 24 hours and will serve kolaches any time of the day or night. Kolaches, I believe, yeah. Yes. That, that, is, that is the most beautiful thing, is whether whatever side of the interstate you're getting off, you can get an apricot kolache heated up for you at 3 a.m. Yep. It's so, it, I mean, it's perfect. Now, I, I, intermittent fasting, I wouldn't be allowed to do that right now, but I would break <laughs> the rules just for that. Hey, anytime you're coming favorite, home from a game, you got, you, you, all bets are off when you're coming back from a game. If you filed at 2 a.m., yeah. hey, you got you to gotta refuel. You got to make sure you get home. You got to stay awake. That's, that's kind of the way I justify it. Like, I got to stay awake. So I got to well, feed my body a little energy so I can drive home in this darkness. I loved in your intro story to the athletic, by the way, that you you basically based it around barbecue dinners. That that that's how that's how you wound up coming here with you know Max Olson and Mitch Sherman. And uh, was it Lockhart Smokehouse? You said it was Lockhart. Yeah, yeah. There's a co- actually a couple locations in Dallas, but we were the Big Twelve Media Days was in Frisco at that time. Now, of mm-hmm. course, last year or the year before they did AT and T, but it was in Frisco at the Star, where the Cowboys headquarters is. And so Plano is just a stone's throw down for Frisco. So we were looking for barbecue and I said, Hey, there's a Lockhart smokehouse right uh, over here. Uh, Cause they have one downtown in Dallas too, or just South of downtown. Yeah. But, but the, the uh, one downtown, I don't know if the, the Plano one does this, but I, I don't, I think it's Saturdays. They do uh, smoke prime rib. Oh, yes. Yes. That is outstanding. It is. It is wonderful. But yeah, but Mitch and Max and I, like I said, we, you know, Mitch and I were at ESPN. Max was just about to join the athletic at the time. And we were, just having our brisket and, and our sausage and we we're talking, we were really excited for Max and it was kind of cool. Cause when Mitch joined a couple of years ago, of course. And then when I, you know, joined up, I had told both of them, I said, you remember that barbecue lunch we had? I said, none of us were here then. And now look, all three of us are here again. We're all teammates again. And I'm super excited because, you know, they're great friends and, you know, great colleagues. And uh, there's a lot of awesome people on this team. So I, I was just thrilled to do it. But, but of course, that's what we did after media days. That's what we do when we go to, on trips out of town. You go find a really good place to eat. And in Texas, it's usually a barbecue place. So that's exactly right. Now, we, uh, we've been doing a lot of this stuff virtually. We used to have meetings in person where we're, once a year, everybody would get together. Hopefully, post-pandemic, we'll do that again. I am going to lobby for a city in the great state of Texas. We could do Houston. We could do Austin, we could do San Antonio, we could do Dallas, whichever one you want to do, 
I'm all for it, but I want all of us together for barbecue. That's the way to do it. it. I love it. That's a perfect idea. We let me know. I'll drop the plans. We'll we'll I'll, I'll get us a map. We can decide where we're gonna hit. It'll be like it'll be like pub crawling, but we'll be doing it for barbecue. Places. But with meat, that's that's right. the best way to do it. That's right. <laughs> All right, Sam Con Jr. Welcome aboard. Thank you for for coming on the podcast. I cannot wait to work with you. No problem. Thanks for having me, Andy.